welcome again uh, to uh, the Crossing Church this morning. And uh, it's great, uh, it's a really special time of year. It's always my, one of my favorite services, our Christmas services and the ones surrounding Christmas. So welcome, we're glad you're here. And uh, as I was thinking about it uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, thinking about Christmas coming up, uh, a question came to my mind. And the question was, seems kind of obvious to some, but maybe not so obvious to others, what, what's so special about Christmas? Why is Christmas so special? Now, for a lot of weeks now, you've been consumed more than anything else with, with Christmas, correct? Say yes. Okay, yeah, I know, I know that's, the, that's the case. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm always shocked when I walk into Costco at the end of August and they got all the Christmas decorations are starting to come out. It kind of freaks me out a little bit and I kind of get a little mad at them, but whatever. It just, I mean, it's, it starts, it seems, earlier and earlier every year. Uh, it's a time when uh, uh, everything else becomes secondary. Everything else becomes second tier in, in the month of December. All around the world, schools and governments and, and, and businesses and all the offices, the shutdown stores are closed, I think. Uh, most of them closed. There's some that I'm sure are open or they're, they're closed for a few hours, but most of them are still closed. And you look in our refrigerators. This morning, I said I was out at 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, ShopRite was packed, the parking lot. At 7 o'clock in the morning, it was, it was jammed. So people are, you know, they're trying to get their refrigerators full and get their cookie jars full and candy dishes and everything else that makes the guys who put the commercials out now for joining the gym and, you know, for this weight loss thing and everything else, they love this time of year. And you'll be noticing commercials starting tomorrow uh, for more and more things like that. And everybody's celebrating at Christmas time. And, and, and they wonder, even... Amidst all the celebration, I really have to wonder how many know or how many even remember the miracles of Christmas. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the wonderful tends to become ordinary with repetition? You ever noticed that? Uh, a couple of Christmases ago, my kids all banded together, and they bought me this wonderful watch. It comes in all different, you can get different, uh, in fact, a generous person from our congregation gave me the band, but uh, you can get all kinds of different bands and stuff like that, and it's a really cool watch, and it's, it's, it's not just cool, it's special. It's amazing. In fact, I would call it a magical watch, to be very honest with you. Um, it, it's magical watch. Uh, last night, just as our service was starting, I got an email, a text message from a friend who lives far, far away, who was just wishing me a Merry Christmas. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, you know, I can answer him. And, so, you know, and I'm sitting there, and we're singing and doing all kinds of stuff. It's just, it's just incredible, right? It's, a, it's kind of a, an amazing thing. I get all my emails now on here. I find out how many calories I'm burning when I'm sitting at my desk studying and doing, which isn't many, I have to tell you right now. I find out how soundly I slept the night before, how many steps I walked during the day. It directs me uh, last week when we were in New York City, from where we are, to how to get to Rockefeller Center. Step by step, you know, directions here go, you know, you, in, in, in a tenth of a mile, make a right turn onto, and it, it's, it's really incredible. It, it, it tells me the phases of the moon. It tells me when it's about to rain or snow, and I don't mean like uh, tonight sometime it's gonna, we're going to have sprinkles. It says, at 7-11, the rain will start. And amazingly, so, so often it's true, the rain is going to start in Roseland, New Jersey at 7-Eleven. Uh, it plays my music list, but here's the thing that was most amazing to me. I can answer my phone calls on my watch. Now, I, I almost never do it. I've done it like three times. But I did it a few weeks ago, 
in our lobby. My phone was, I didn't have my phone with me, because usually I have my phone, I answer my phone. My phone was, it was in my office, and I'm with a guy, and uh, it rings. So I'm talking to the guy like this. Yeah, he's about that. And the guy who was with me was like this, just looking at me with his mouth agape. He's from western New Jersey. He doesn't understand the new technology I know that's come out uh, in recent days, but, you know, that's... That's neither here nor there. Anyway, uh, uh, he, he said to me, you know, I cannot even believe that. What else does that do? I mean, te- you know, so I had to go through the whole list with him. And, and basically, I ended up saying what I would say to anyone who wasn't privy to the latest technological advances in wrist work. I said, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Now, when I first got the watch, when I first got it, I was like this. And I started doing all the things that it does and trying to figure out how. I was amazed. It was incredible. It's kind of the feeling that you have when, uh, if you've ever bought a new car and you get that new car smell, and you just love that new car smell. I mean, they, they try to sell it. None of it is the same, as, as you know. You get that new car smell, and this, and this is one when you buy the new car, it's like nobody's ever going to bring coffee in that car. No one's ever going to eat. The kids, you are not eating anything. There's no crackies. There's no cookies. There's nothing in this car ever. And then like six months later, you know, you're spilling on yourself, and the kids are, there's crumbs everywhere. And you said, how do we get? And you know that the romance has basically ended a little bit when that happens. The, the special the extraordinary kind of becomes ordinary after, after you've dealt with it a long time. After you've, you've heard something a million times, it kind of becomes, you know, this ridiculous, ordinary thing. And, you know, sometimes I get the feeling that that is our reaction when we hear the Christmas story yet again for yet another year. The miracles of what happened become so familiar to us that what we end up doing is kind of listening politely. We go through our paces, but really it doesn't have that much effect on us. In fact, in fact, we may even all get a little bored with the whole thing. Because I really think that the power of story seems to diminish with familiarity. Do you think so? I, I do. We, we, we begin to wonder what all the fuss was all about. We could even begin to say, you know, what, what is the big deal about Christmas? And that's a pity. It's, it's, it's more than a pity. It's really a tragedy. Because often, when we lose a sense of awe of what happened 2,000 years ago, we also lose a sense of awe of what it means for us. But it is to our distinct advantage to remember the miracles of Christmas. So... As I was looking at the Christmas story, I saw four miracles. There's probably five or six, and I probably it's, you're going to listen to a, uh, an, uh, you know, a podcast later today, and the guy's going to say, let's talk about the five miracles, and you're going to go, well, he's better. He's got five miracles. You only had four miracles. Whatever. It probably, listen to that guy. Okay, He probably picked up the extra miracle or whatever. But as I was looking at the story, I saw four miracles, four distinct things that should kind of uh, knock us over with a sense of awe. But we've heard them so many times, maybe, that they really haven't, uh, you know, resonated for, for some of us for many years. So I want to look at them today. And I look at the first one, that God came to earth. See, I think that's a, mir- a miraculous thing, that God came to earth. On Christmas, we are celebrating God's invasion of this planet. Because some 2,000 years ago, God came to earth. 
Now, I did this last night, and I'm going to be sorry, and I was sorry, and I'm going to be sorry again when doing it, but I'm going to do it anyway. How many of you remember firsthand, not uh, YouTube, nothing like that, how many of you remember firsthand, and we're watching it, when uh, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon in 1969, July? You see? There's about a dozen hands. This is really depressing. That's why I said it was a mistake. Or, or you know, there's, there's just a few of us. Well, there's not that many of us left. There you go. There's not many of us left. But I remember in 1969 in July when, when the, the lunar lander landed on the moon and I was out camping with a bunch of other people and we had several dozen people. And I remember that day I said, they're going to land on the moon tonight and I'm going to miss it. And I realized that I should have said, I'm not going. Somebody brought out a little black and white Admiral television and set it up right there in the campground. And Dozens of people were all kind of around there, and we're watching, and we're watching Walter Cronkite, and he's like just, I mean, the old grizzled CBS veteran is just kind of doing this with his hands and saying, wow, man had landed on the moon, and I remember looking up at the moon. I'm watching him on the television, and I'm looking up at the moon. I'm saying, there's a guy walking around up there right now, and I remember saying then, I will never see anything like this again in my life. And you say that a lot of times in life, and then you do. You see, you, know, you see a lot of things that are cool. I have never seen anything like that in my life. When we go to, you know, they're going to go to Mars in 2025, 20, something like that. It's not going to be as cool. It's not going to be as great. It's not going to be as earth-shattering in my brain as that. But I've got to tell you something. It is an infinitely bigger deal when God walked on the earth. 2,000 years ago, God came to earth. You say, God, wait a minute, we're just singing about Jesus. Isn't this Jesus' birthday? Jesus was deity. He said it himself. In fact, one time in John chapter 10, he had a bunch of people around him, and he just said it plainly. He said, I and the Father are one. And when he said that, it didn't reflect the fact that, you know, we're one, we get each other, you know, we got this thing going on. Kind of thing. That's not what he meant. What he was saying was that he was eternal, that he was the same essence as the Father. How do I know that? Because immediately after he said those words, people tried to kill him because they understood what he was saying. The Bible called him God, and he proved he was God by dying on the cross, resurrecting three days later, and then walking around so that everybody could see him. In fact, St. Paul the Apostle said that there was one time when Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. In fact, he said at that time, if you don't believe it, go talk to them because they were all alive still at that time when he was writing to the church at Corinth. Go talk to them. There's 500 of them. In Colossians chapter 1, the Bible said this about Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The Bible says, you know what it's saying there? The Bible says that Jesus Christ created this world. He didn't start in a stable. We are not, tomorrow, we are not celebrating the beginning of Jesus Christ. What we're celebrating tomorrow is the day he came to earth. The day God came to earth. 
Now, that's a pretty amazing statement. But you know what? There's a lot of people. I bet you there's a number of people here. There's a lot of people in our society and our culture who there's no way they're going there. There's no way they're going there. That's fine. You believe that helps you get through the day. Great. But they're not going there. A lot of those same people, though, they will give you this. They will say, you know what, I do believe that there was a historical Jesus. Secular historians have told us that. I get it. There was a man named Jesus, and he taught, and he lived uh, in, you know, Palestine, ancient Palestine area, and we get it, and that's, you know, we believe that. Other people will go even further. They'll say, not only do I believe in a historical Jesus, but I also believe he was most probably a very, very good man. Had a lot of good teachings. There's only one problem with that, though. There's only one problem. Jesus never claimed to be a good man. Jesus claimed to be God. So if you got Jesus and you're back, you know, 2,000 years ago, you only got a couple of options. When he's claiming to be God, you only get, there's only, I see three options. If you have more, come to me later, okay? If I ever preach this again, I will add whatever you, whatever you tell me there, okay? There's only three options that I could see. A... People, you know, you, you could say he was a con man. The guy's just a con man. There's always weak-minded people. They're always looking for somebody with a strong personality who says, we got to go this way, even though, you know, 100 yards down the road, you're all going to fall off a cliff. People are just looking for a leader. Maybe, maybe he's just this charismatic David Koresh, you know, con man that's going to get people to follow him. And he's saying, you know, I'm God, follow me. That could can, that can be one thing. B, he could have been a lunatic. A self-deluded nutcase that really should have been fitted for one of those jackets that tie around the back so he doesn't hurt himself. See? That's, a, that's, that's B. Or C, he was who he said he was. He was God in flesh. Now, if I were to stand up here uh, uh, this morning and I were to say to you, I'm a good man. I bet you, there's, I, there's a lot of people here who come here every week. I, you know, I see you. And, uh, you know, you know me and you probably, I bet you a lot of people would say, yeah, you know, we'll give you that. Tim, you know. You're a good man. I, 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 I think you are. You visited me before I had surgery, you know, a couple of months ago. Uh, you know, you, you, uh, you seem to be sincere in what you're saying. Uh, there are certain rumors circulating that you've been known to bring in stray animals and help little old ladies every now and then and care for them. You know, I would say that you're probably a good person. But listen, if I stood up in front of those same people, you, and I said, I'm God and you all need to follow me. I would be met with a lot of stares, I think, and a lot of mouths wide open. And all of you would have to conclude one of three things. A, I'm a phony trying to build a following, or probably trying to build you out of your inheritance, something like that. B, the stress of pastoring the Crossing Church has finally got caught up to me. You knew it was going to come sooner or later. You figured it would come five or six years ago. Now it's come. Okay, see ya. Bring in the new guy. You know, you, maybe you come to that conclusion. Or C, that I was God and I should be followed. But there is one thing that you would never, ever be able to say about me ever, ever again. You would never again be able to say that I was a good man. A delusional man, a con man, but not a good man. Definitely, definitely not a good man. Now, I, I, I cannot be a good man and claim to be God at the same time. That doesn't make sense. Jesus claimed to be God. So he was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was who he says he was, the Lord of all. 
And you know what? People have always had to draw their own conclusions. They've always had to come and say, you know what? Which is it, A, B, or C? Now, I know for many people here, and for many people around the world this morning and today, uh, they have taken him at his word. And we celebrate the invasion of God to earth. And folks, I got to tell you right now, I think that's a pretty big deal. I think it, I think it is at Christmas time. I think it's a miraculous deal. So miracle number one is that God came to earth. But there's much more than that. Because I think miracle number two says that God became a man. Uh, God became a man. He became like one of us. He became a human being. Uh, Paul, St. Paul again, in Philippians chapter 2, said this about Jesus Christ. He said, though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God, but laid aside his mighty power and glory, taking the disguise of a slave and becoming like men. Now, now think about this miracle. Think about it. Of all the ways that God could have chosen to communicate that there was a God to human beings, he chose to become one of us. Think of what he could have done. I mean, he could have written, he could, you think he could have done really good calligraphy up in the sky? Or made his face, you know, 500 miles wide and just kind of looked down and said, you know, I'm here. And, you know, he could have, you know, lightning, thunder, earthquakes. He could have done a lot of things. But he came into the world as a human being. Why did he do that? Why did God come to earth as a baby? Because God wants you to know him. He already knows all about you, by the way. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows everything that's ever happened to you. He knows every single moment of your life as if it happened a minute ago. He saw you, the Bible says explicitly, he saw you in your mother's womb. And it says, and the Hebrew is very specific here, that he was knitting together the cells of your body. In fact, in fact it says in Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. He knew that you were going to be here a thousand years before you were born this morning on this day. He knows everything that's going to happen to you in the future. The problem is not him knowing you. It's you knowing him. God wants you to know him. And you know where the problem largely lies, I think? I think it's largely, it largely lies in communication. There's a large communication problem. And to solve that problem, uh, he had to come up with a way that we could understand. And I love what one writer wrote. One writer wrote this concerning that, the communication problem. If God had wanted to communicate the birds, he'd have become a bird. If God had wanted to communicate the frogs, he'd have become a frog. If he wanted to communicate the donkeys, he'd have become a donkey. But he wanted to communicate to you and to me, so he became one of us. I like that. I like it. Because when I look at Jesus, I say, right, okay, that's what God's like. Okay, now I get it. See, I can relate to God in human flesh. I can understand that. That's why Jesus came to earth. He was God, but he became a man, and that's an amazing thing, an amazing thing, and I got to say, a very humbling thing. A very, very humbling thing. The Bible says that he was like us. He was born like us. The way we were all born. And the Bible says he grew like we grew. Physically, spiritually, socially. 
It says that Jesus was tempted like we are. He had the same needs, the same drives, the same desires, the same problems, the same pressures in life. There were times when Jesus was lonely. Why do you get lonely? Let me tell you why you get lonely. You get lonely because you think, nobody understands me. Nobody gets it. Nobody cares. Folks, I got to tell you something right now, okay? If there is one person forever on earth who really, really understood what loneliness was, you know who it was? It was Jesus, because people, when he said, if he ever said to anybody, nobody understands me, he was 100% correct. I mean, that's the one guy who really understood that. There were times when Jesus was tired. He walked for long distances. Remember in John 4, he sat by the well, and the woman, you know, woman at the well came to him. And he, you know, the Bible says that he was just like, can you give me, can I have some water? Can you imagine Jesus, God in flesh? He became fatigued. There were times when he was disappointed. There were times when he was misunderstood many times, and he was more often than not, not treated right. He was criticized. And you know what? There were many, many times when his heart was just broken. He made it so plain. He made it so clear. His arms were wide open. And people were going, uh, what time's lunch? You know? He understood all that. And the reason he went through all that was so that he could relate to us. And so let me just say this. No matter what you're going through, God understands because he's been there. He came and he lived the human life. He understands all that stuff. And here's the point. God not only came to earth at Christmas, he came as a human being so that he could let us know what God is like and so that we could never, ever, ever say again in our entire life, how could God possibly understand me and my problems? That's the good news. The God of the universe wants a relationship with you. You were made for a relationship with God. You were made to know God. Haven't you ever in your quiet moments, I don't know, before you go to sleep or you're sitting, you're waiting for somebody in the car or, you know, just something. You know, you're watching television, but you're really not watching television. You're, you're a thousand miles away. Have you ever asked yourself questions like, you know, why am I here? What is this whole deal? What is this deal, you know, this whole thing about? Well, you know, where, where do I come from? Where am I going? What's the meaning? What's the purpose of life? What's the significance of this whole thing? Some say, you know what? I, we got it. We got that covered. It's family. You know, taking care of your family, loving your family, being your family. Family's great. You know, you know who thought up family? God thought up family. So it, it's, a, it's a good thing. But I got to tell you, families, you know, they leave. They pick up and they get a job in Peoria, Illinois. And they say, you know, we're, we're leaving and we're picking up. And, 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 and they go or, or they leave you in death. And they leave you with gaping, gaping holes and wounds in your heart. See, that happens. Some people say, you know what? I, really, I'm, I'm here for what I do. It's, it's my job. Folks, I got to tell you something. Most companies and the people that you work with will begin to forget you as soon as they get into their cars after attending your farewell dinner. You know, three days later, someone's going, I wonder how John's doing. And you go, who? You know, John, whose dinner we went to? Through? Oh, yeah, you know, I, you know it's, just, it's just the way it is. Everybody thinks they're going to keep in contact with, with people from high school. Nobody does. I mean, it's just, you, you say goodbye. That's it. Life moves on. Is that what it's really about? Is that what we're here for? I don't think so. 
The Bible says that you were made to be loved by God and to love, serve, and enjoy him. The Bible says that God created you as an object of his love. In fact, Psalm 52, 8 says this, I trust in God's unfailing love forever and forever. The Bible says that God, in 1 John, God is love. Not he's loving. You know, most days when he gets up, he's, you know, he has a propensity to love people, even bad. That's not what it means. When it says that God is love, it means in the essence of God, in, at, at the center of who God is, is love. It is, it is the thing that we crave most in life. I don't even care. There are people who go, I don't need anybody. You know what? That is this shell that they have developed all around them because they have been hurt and something has happened, and I don't know. And we'll probably have a 10-minute conversation, you could figure it out. You don't have to be a psychologist. But every human being desires to be received and accepted just as they are, right where they are. Not having to clean up, not having to be this other type of person. The Bible says that God, in his essence, reaches out to people to love them. And he desires that they know him. That's what the Bible says. The greatest tragedy of life is to go all the way through life and never understand, why in the world am I here? Why am I here? That's the greatest tragedy. That is the greatest waste of life. Because you were made to know God just as he knows you, and you have the capacity to do so. That's the second miracle. God became a man. He became as a human being so that you could know him who knows you. 1 John 4, 9 says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And I kind of think that miracle number two is a pretty big deal too. I don't know what you think. I think, I think it is. I think it's kind of a miraculous thing. Third, miracle. He came to common people. God came to common people. On Christmas, he came to earth. He came as a human being. But that third miracle, he came to earth to ordinary people like you and like me. When Jesus Christ was born, he didn't come to a select few. He didn't come to a privileged class. He came for all of us. Born of a peasant woman, a young maiden by the name of Mary, probably in her mid-teens, virtually no social status, no self-claims of sinless perfection, from a town, Nazareth, that was neither respected nor noteworthy in its time, of humble agrarian roots. She had very few credentials aside from this. Her availability and her responsive heart to the things of God. And yet... She was chosen above all women to bear through the Holy Spirit the Savior of the world, her Savior. Now, I know we saw it. We heard Jean read it uh, just a couple of minutes ago. But can I, can I read it for you again? Luke chapter 1, what Mary wrote. It was a song. We don't have the tune. I wish we did. We don't have the tune. We have the words. And here it goes like this. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, 
He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Uh, I was sitting here before, and Gene was reading that on screen. I said, I think I'm going to preach on that next Christmas. Because, you know, I've never preached from Mary's Magnificat. I've, I've referred to it. It is, it's magnificent. But you know what? The one thing that stands out above all is, is Mary's almost uh, disbelief, her disbelief that she, a common peasant girl, would bear the Savior of the world. He came into the world through the agency of a young, frightened, responsive teenage girl. Interesting, he didn't come to the religious people, you know, the movers and shakers. It's fascinating to note that uh, the first people who got to visit Jesus were not religious leaders. They were not royalty. They were not political figures. He came to people who, let's be honest, couldn't have cared less about religion. Didn't go to temple, didn't care about it. You know, maybe they never stepped foot in their their whole lives. They were lowly shepherds. The kind of men who occupied the bottom rung of the social ladder. Today, you know, we make shepherds the heroes of the story. We had a a little Christmas thing here with the kids last week. And they were so cute. And, you know, the cute factor was way up. And and we over here were standing all these little shepherds, you know. Oh, those are angels. But they were shepherds over here. Oh, I think the shepherds are over here. And they got their, you know, their staff. You know, they got the stick and they got the whole thing going there. And they, 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 it was very cool. And, uh, every, you know, everybody loves the shepherds in the story. But I got to tell you something. In those days, uh, shepherds were not the heroes. They were the zeros. They, they were really nobody. They were nobodies. They were considered a half step, just a half step, step better than the outcasts, the tax collectors, and the prostitutes because they did a job that no one else wanted to do. No parent, while engaging in conversation with the townspeople, you know, bragging about the fact that their son or daughter was a doctor who had just been accepted into the finest school in the land, would say, well, my son's a shepherd. The only thing that would do, the only, th- the only feeling that that would elicit towards you would be pity. Oh, sorry. Yeah, what, ha- what happened? You know, did he go wrong? Did he, you know, you know, you'd want to know why he became a shepherd. But that is whose God's message of Christ first came to. Wise men came later on from the east. They brought these big expensive gifts. They were welcome too. But it started with the humble. It started with the lowest in the society, and then it went up to the highest. They were all invited. Jesus was made available to everyone. He was not hidden behind gated communities. He was not, uh, you know, in a, in a rich family. He was born in a barn where anyone could get close, even common people. John 1.14 says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love the way the message translates it. The message says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I like that. He was a homeboy. He was a regular guy. He looked every ounce a Palestinian Jew, which was what he was. What's the good news of this? Let me tell you what it is. God is willing to meet all of us where we are in our neighborhood, in our 
lives right now. You think, well, and I spoke, spoke to someone this week, all the things I've done in my life. Yeah, yeah, you know what? You, you wouldn't be having, you wouldn't be, you know, having a meal with me right now. If you know, uh, Pastor, uh, all the things I've done, I could never have a relationship with God. God would never want. And I say to you, what I say to this person, you are dead wrong. You are dead wrong. You may say, God, God doesn't care about me. You know, I, I, I put up a good front, but in my heart, I know I'm a nobody. If I didn't provide a service, I'm sure that no one would even care about me, let alone God. You are dead wrong. God says, I love you, I know you, and I want you to know me. Jesus Christ came to us because we couldn't reach up to God. I, 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 I could never know God on my own. So he came down to my level, and that's a miracle that he would stoop so low that he would be born as a baby in a barn so that he could become accessible to everyone. There's one more. One more miracle. And I think this is the miracle of miracles. I think it gives purpose to all the other miracles. This is number one. The greatest miracle of all about Christmas was not the fact that he came it was not the fact of how he came. It wasn't the fact of who he came to. The greatest miracle of all was why he came. Because the miracles of Christmas have a purpose. He came for you and he came for me. He came to give us truth and life and forgiveness. Jesus said in John chapter 18, he said, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Jesus said it like this one time. He said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. He came to set us free. He sets you free to really live like God meant you to live. And what's the truth he's talking about? What, what exactly is the truth he's talking about? The truth uh, is that though our sins have separated us from God, we have no hope of ever entering into a relationship with him. No, no hope of heaven. We mattered so much to God that Jesus Christ left his home in heaven, came to earth in a form of a baby, grew up, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was resurrected, went back to heaven, and now says, I want you to come be with me one day. And as you walk on this earth, if you have a day or a month or a year or 50 years left in this earth, I want to walk with you every single day. See, that's what he's saying now. That's how much you matter to him. That's the truth. God made you for a purpose. And his purpose is to love you and for you to love, serve, and enjoy him, and to have a relationship that lasts far longer than your time on earth. That's the bottom line of truth. He came to give us life. John said in the 10th chapter, he said, I have come uh, that they may have life, Jesus speaking, and have it to the full. Why did he say that? Why, why did Jesus say, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full? Because most people aren't really living. Most people who are walking along, along on the planet are not really living. You know what they're doing? They're existing. They make it through the day to get to the next day. They get up in the morning. They, you know, they 
dressed and they go through the whole exact same thing of getting ready and they go out and they stop at Wawa and they get a 24-ounce cup and they go into their car now that is not that special anymore. And they're, and they're drinking their coffee and they get to work and they do the same thing every single day and then they go home from work and then they have dinner and then they watch the news and they watch a little television and then they fall asleep, you know, with potato chip crumbs kind of on their chest. And then they go up to bed somewhere around, you know, midnight and they start the whole thing all over again and then the day after that and the day after that and thank God it's Friday see that's existing that is not living and I'm not I am not saying anything about against your job I think God could put life and purpose and fulfillment exactly where you are right now I believe that with all my heart Jesus said, I came to give your life purpose and meaning and significance. You are not here to take up space. You are not here primarily to climb the corporate ladder or to make a lot of money or even to have a family. You are here to know God, to love him, and to joyfully serve him and to have your life filled by him. One more thing. One more than I'm done. Jesus also came to bring us forgiveness. He said in John chapter 3, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Then Jesus said this, I came to save you, not to judge you. I came so that you might have forgiveness of sins. When the angels announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, they said, behold, a savior is born in Bethlehem. He is Christ the Lord. Why do I need a savior? What do I need a Savior for? The Bible says our sins have separated us from our God. We cannot have a relationship we were born for. We cannot live with him forever when we die because we are separated from God. The Bible says that heaven is a perfect place. There is no sadness. There is no sorrow. There is no sin. There is no sickness. There are no problems. There are no pressures. Heaven is a place of absolute perfection, which means that only perfect people get to go to heaven. So you're sitting here and you're going, he just blew the whole message for me. I mean, it was, I was tracking you up till now. It was kind of interesting a little bit. You're fun to watch or whatever. But now you just messed up the whole thing. No, I don't think I did. Um, if you say, if only perf perfect people get to heaven then I don't stand a chance. Yes, for me too. None of us stand a chance. And you know what? That is what the miracles of Christmas are all about. God says none of you are perfect, so I can't ever, I can't have a relationship with sin. I can't ever let you into my heaven. So here's what I'm going to do. I will send my unique and only son to earth, and his name will be called Jesus and he will live a perfect life, the only one that's ever been lived, the only one. And he will die on a cross to pay for all of your imperfections, all of your sins that you have ever committed or ever will. And if you trust in him from that day forward, I will never look at you and see you the same, Jim, Bob, Sally, Catherine, Joe, Beth, Mary. I will never look at you the same again. Because when I look at you from that moment on, I will look at you with Christ-colored glasses on, and when I see you, I am going to see the face of the Savior 
who died for your sins. And I know, I know that one day you will be perfect and whole and healed and ready to enter the pristine joy of heaven. I call that the greatest Christmas gift that you will ever be offered. That is the primary, premier, top of the list Christmas gift 2017. But like any gift, you don't deserve it. And you need to know that. Uh, and you can't buy it. How rude it would be if tonight or tomorrow morning somebody gives you a gift and they go, wow, this is really, what do I owe you? Let me write, can I, will you take a check? You know, how rude would that be? That's not why it's given. But we need to recognize that, that it is a gift. You can't buy this gift. And you need to understand, humbly understand that. Paul wrote again in Romans chapter 3, and he said this. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You can't save yourself. You need a savior. Jesus Christ is God's gift to you, a Christmas gift to you. I know people who celebrate Christmas every single year of their lives, and they have never unwrapped God's gift to them. And that, I was going to say that's a shame. That's, uh, that's, that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. God says, I'm offering you life. It means life here and eternal life. That means your past can be forgiven. Your future can be secured. You can have a purpose right here and right now. That's God's gift. And you know what I would say to you this morning? I would say don't wait any longer. Do not wait a minute longer. Let this be the year. Let this be the season that you accept God's gift. He wants you to know him personally. That's why you're here this morning. You know, we all came for different reasons this morning. I, I, I get it. Some of you came because, you know what, it's a traditional thing to do. We go to church around Christmas time, we go to Easter time, whatever. You go to church around this time of year. Some of you are here because you were invited by a friend or a relative who, you know what, really cares for you. They must really care for you. Maybe, maybe you didn't even want to come, but you said, you know, maybe I should go. Maybe you came for the music. Maybe you came because, you know, you, do, you feel a little lonely, basically, this time of the year, and you shouldn't feel lonely, so maybe if I'm with people, you know, everybody's got different reasons. But regardless of the reason that you think you are here this morning, you are not here by accident. I believe that thousands of years before you were born, God knew that you would attend the Crossing Church on December 24th, 2017, so that he could get your attention for just a few minutes and say to you, you matter to me. You matter to me. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I came to earth 2,000 years ago. I grew up, died on the cross, paid for your sin. Your ticket has been paid for. All you need to do is accept it by trusting me and following me. And we will develop a relationship for the rest of your life and forever. Folks, Christmas is a special time of year. What makes me sad is that sometimes uh, we've heard the story so often that it kind of becomes, I don't know, ordinary, pedestrian. We need to remember the miracles. Why not this Christmas? Accept God's greatest gift to you, truth 
and life and forgiveness. That's God's Christmas gift to you. He said that's why he came.